both disciplines attract that type of person who can chase down specific goals, who is competitive, not necessarily with other people, but with themselves. I think that's a big thing you see in dance and it's a big thing you see in running. Yeah, you're competing for the top spot. You're competing for the spot in the company. You're competing for the lead role on Broadway. If you're in high school, you're literally at dance competitions that you want to win. In running, yeah, if you're at the front of the pack, it's the same. You're competing to break the tape. But I think inherently, what I see a lot of in both is this idea of wanting to be your best self in your discipline and seeing what that brings out in you as a person. That's Allie Feller, and this is the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and every week on this show, I sit down with athletes, coaches, and personalities in the sport of running for long-form conversations that will educate you, inspire you, or impact you in some way. My guest this week is Allie Feller. Allie is the host of the super popular Allie on the Run Show podcast, where every week she talks to inspiring people who lead interesting lives on the run and beyond. I'm a longtime listener of her show. She has a great range of guests from top pros to average age groupers and all sorts of other folks who are doing unique things in and around running. And plus, Allie herself is just an incredible interviewer who just really knows how to keep a conversation flowing. But in this episode, she's my guest, and we hit on a number of different topics from dealing with imposter syndrome and learning how to push it to the side to attending the Olympic Trials Marathon in Atlanta and what she took away from that experience why she's way more passionate about other people's running than her own and when that flipped for her, starting her podcast and how it's evolved over the course of 200 plus episodes, battling Crohn's disease since the age of seven and how that's impacted her running and her life, the strategies she uses to manage stress and anxiety, and a lot more. All right, lots to get to here, so let's dive right into it with Allie Feller. Allie Feller, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be in your esteemed lineup of guests, Mario. We are going to come back to that reply in a little (laughs) bit. I first want to ask you, what's it like for you to be on the other side of the mic? Oh, it's so nice. I didn't have to do anything to prep for this except plug in my microphone and my headphones. I was like, you know, normally the hour leading up to when you're going to record, you've prepped, you've done everything, you've done research, you've gone back into that person's Instagram from like 2014. (laughs) And uh, no, I went for a run right before we recorded this, took a quick shower and I'm ready to go. It's nice, relaxing for now. So my next question off of your first response, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, has to do with imposter syndrome. Because as we were setting up this conversation, you alluded to it here at the top. You texted me. You said, this is the first time I've ever been asked to be on someone's show where I'm like, am I worthy? Am I having a bit of imposter syndrome? And to be fair, you're not the first person who has said that to me, but I'm genuinely curious. Why did you feel that way? Yeah, fair question. Because when I look at your show... It's a lot of professional runners. It's a lot of people who, even if they're not pro runners, they are very fast runners or what I consider to be 
very fast runners or they're professionals in the industry in some way. So coaches or Lindsey Krauss, who is very fast, of course, but also writes for the New York Times. People that until very, very, very recently, I've not held myself in the same category as. They're always people that I have on a pedestal and that I interview on my show. And until very recently, I haven't started to see myself in that same regard in terms of what I contribute to the industry. Look, I'm a, I'm a proud middle-of-the-pack runner. I'm, I'm proud of the work that I put in to be there. But yeah, I'm not. I mean, right before we started, we were talking about recording with Alephine Tuliamuk, who of course just won the Olympic trials and the marathon. And I'm not Alephine, but I've started since actually since being in Atlanta for the trials, I've started trying to tap into what I do bring to the industry and what I am contributing here and and kind of pushing that imposter syndrome to the side as best I can. Well, I appreciate that. From the outside, looking in, I think you've brought a lot to running and the industry and let's call it the podcasting space in the last several years, which is a big reason why I wanted to have you on the show. And I think it's really cool what you're doing because I've watched your show evolve over the last year and a half or so. I see the excitement that people have around it. And you have a few people on that I've never heard of, but even more recently, you've had a lot of well-known runners on. You've hosted live shows with the likes of Des Linden and Meb Kaflesky. And, and, you know, that's great. But I think like what you're able to do in your show the conversations that you're able to have, like you're contributing to the conversation and, you know, you're doing something that other runners are finding valuable. So I think, you know, not that I, I rank people that I, that I have on the show, but like I say on the top every time I have top athletes. Yes, I have top coaches, but I have people who are just doing interesting things and running. And you are certainly in that category of people. And I want to commend you on a job well done. Well, thank you. I I very much appreciate you saying that, especially because I I hold you in such high regard. It's the mutual admiration society, as I like to call it. But it wasn't until being in Atlanta for the trials when I did have a bit of that, um, you know, I guess you could call it the light bulb moment of people reaching out and saying they were either in Atlanta to cheer or they were cheering from afar and they knew who to root for because they'd learned about them on the Alley on the Run show. And I kind of had to take a step back and be like, oh, wait, that is really cool that runners, everyday runners like me, like us middle of the pack or back of the pack, wherever you are in the pack, people who otherwise wouldn't know who Des Linden is, wouldn't know who... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, name any of the top 20 runners, but then even handfuls and handfuls of the 500 women who ran that day that they could name and root for so many people who were running because they heard about them there. So that to me is a huge, um, you know, sometimes you just need to hear it from someone else, I guess, to make you realize your place in the industry and in your career in whatever you're doing. And so I think since then, which was about a month ago, I have had this really renewed sense of what I'm doing, what I'm trying to do, and what impact it can have. My goal is never to have an impact. My goal is to have fun talking to people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if that resonates with people, that's awesome. But I'm not sitting here at my computer saying, okay, like who will get the most downloads? What will have the biggest reach? Who's the most famous? It's just, what do I want to hear about? Who am I pumped about right now? 
I don't care how many followers you have. I don't care if you're the fastest, the slowest, anywhere in between. It's just I genuinely am so excited about running right now more than ever. And I maybe it's because I came to it later in life that I just am like so hopped up on running all the time. And to get to have these conversa- conversations and share them with people and then to have people come back and be like, oh my gosh, I knew who, I don't know, I knew who Des Linden was. I mean, a lot of people know Des Linden now, but I knew who she was because I heard her on your show. That's just, you know, and I'm sure you you find that to be true with yours as well, that it's really cool to get to help educate people in a medium that's still relatively new. Podcasting mm-hmm. is still pretty new. And so it's uh, it's cool to be a big part of that. I love that. And I think we're both doing very similar things, just coming at it from different perspectives. Because just as you're able to introduce a lot of your listeners to someone like a Des Linden or even like a Caitlin Goodman, who I think that episode just came out today or yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, is amazing. Whereas on my show, yeah, I can have on Shalane Flanagan, most people know who that is, or I can have Des Linden on, most people listening to my show know who that is, but I can have you on and people don't know who you are and they're like, oh, she's doing some pretty cool things. Let me check that out. Or I can dig someone up like Mike Finelli, who no one knows because he has no social media presence, but I know he's like this old school running nerd who has stories on stories and collects memorabilia and I can get him on to like talk about that and people you know, are all of a sudden like exposed to that. And I, and I think that's what's really cool about the space right now and like what a lot of us are doing is coming at it from, you know, very different, you know, perspectives, but kind of opening people's eyes to what else is out there in running. And I think too, what's so special about this medium versus a traditional running magazine or a blog or uh, you know, a clip on your local news is that we get to use this long form mm-hmm. storytelling platform. Everyone comes to running with a story, and everyone has a story of how running has changed their lives, either profoundly or in small ways. And I, I mean, I can't get enough of those stories. I think they're fascinating. I want to hear every single runner's story ever. But to get to share those over the course of an hour, you really get to know someone, and then. It just it creates such a a trickle effect, I think, and it snowballs into when I'm out. Maybe I'm I'm not motivated to go for a run, or I'm out for a run and I'm feeling tired, but but I'm two miles from home, so I have to keep going. I think about all the different reasons that all these people run that we get to talk to every week, and it just it inspires me so much. And and I, yeah, I don't I don't care how fast you run. I don't care um, if you've broken the tape a hundred times or if you get picked up by the sweeper van every time, but you're excited to be there. I think that to learn about the reasons that people run is a really, really special gift. Yeah, I will echo that answer as well on my end. I've taken so much away from the guests that I've had on my show. And sometimes that can be very applicable to what I do as a coach. But just as you described, from a motivational standpoint, you hear about someone who's able to fit it in despite having, you know, this crazy busy day and a demanding life and and job and you're making every excuse in the book as to why you don't want to get out the door. <laughs> and then you think of this person that you just spoke to and you're like, all right, I got no excuse. Like I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do that. And then you think about the fact that, you know, there's several 
thousand people listening to that who might be in the same boat. And you're like, I just kind of provided, you know, a little bit of inspiration for someone else by sharing my guest's story. And there's something that feels really good about that. Oh, yeah. And it's better. Like, listen, I love Instagram. I have so much fun on Instagram. But I can fall into the comparison trap on Instagram. When you're scrolling through and you're limited to the number of words in your caption, and all you see on a Saturday morning, for example, is 10-mile run, 13-mile run, ran a marathon, PR, did this. And it just always feels like everyone's running the fastest, the Mm -hmm. best, the most. I know that to, to hear someone tell their story in a longer way, it's just, it's more than that. And then it helps me not compare as much, right? Like, I'm not going to compare myself to Caitlin Goodman. She runs a 232 marathon. I literally run an hour and a half slower than that, just about. But I also know the work that Caitlin's putting in. I know the injuries she's dealt with. I know the time she has to train. I know it, it just, it helps alleviate the comparison trap I think we can fall down with something like Instagram or Strava, both of which I love so much and use every single day. But there's uh, there's more to it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. There's there's more to to every run, to every training season, to every race than what we see when we're just scrolling. Yeah, and I think that's such an important message to get across. I had Meb Kofleski on my show, and I've said this a couple times on this podcast, but it's worth reiterating. He told me that the only difference between any of us is the numbers on the clock at the end of the race. And just as you described with Instagram and Strava, you see those numbers and there is something black and white about it. It can get to your head if you're not careful. But hearing people describe how hard that last 10K was or how tough it was to get out the door for a Sunday long run um, or whatever it may be, it makes things much more relatable. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about this medium. Yeah. I'm like, give me the drama. I love it. (laughs) You have put out 220 plus episodes of your podcast. How did you get started with the Alley on the Run show? Oh, so I'll try to give you the short version, which is that I've been a writer my whole professional life. So since a college internship, I went immediately into the publishing industry and but was in the dance industry. So I was the editor-in-chief of Dance Spirit Magazine, which surely everyone listening still subscribes to, right? So Teen Dance Magazine. And I I was a dancer my whole life. But as I started, you know, moved to New York City and did not want to be a professional dancer, dance fell by the wayside. I learned about running. Running became my new hobby. Eventually, it became my passion half marathons, marathons, the whole deal. So as that started to evolve, I realized that I was spending more time at my job writing my blog, Allie on the Run, talking about running and connecting with runners on Twitter, which like 2011 was the heyday for running Twitter because you could just, especially in New York City, you would just tweet at 6am headed to Central Park and you'd end up meeting with six other people and running together. It was a really, really cool time. Oh, how it's and devolved. It, uh, Twitter. Twitter's not the happiest place now, but Central Park is still a really happy place. So we still have that. But I just realized that my passions had really changed. And so I made a shift in my career and I went freelance, which allowed me to pursue more health and fitness writing. And my blog had grown pretty significantly at the time. It was never a source of major income for me, but I loved it. Like 
I could write 3,000 words about a five-mile easy run. It was a little... I mean, maybe that's a little sad that I could find so much to say. But uh, I, I just loved it, just like I do now. I love talking about it and connecting with people in a whole new world. And... Then I got to a point where I moved out of New York City. I was married. We got a dog, so we needed to move where we had more green space. You see, you know now you you're you're a dog dad. You know mm-hmm. you got to give the dogs the best lives. So we move across the river to Weehawken, New Jersey, and I realized that not only did I leave behind my favorite Central Park, I left behind my running friends. So all of a sudden, I was doing every run by myself along the waterfront, which was pretty, but also kind of lonely. So I started listening to podcasts and I was like, wait, so you get to talk to people about running for an hour? Awesome. Sign me up. (laughs) And that was pretty much it. And so I was fortunate that I had already had kind of an audience that had been following along as I'd trained for different marathons and gotten married and just, you know, blogging again. 2010, 2011, blogging was the thing to do. And so I started this podcast and had a lot of really loyal, wonderful people who checked it out. And it's grown and it's never been particularly glamorous. The first many episodes, which please don't go back and listen to them. They're not good. Um, Nothing is good about the early episodes. The audio, I didn't know what I was doing. I just figured it out as I went. But uh I loved it. From the very first episode, I was like, I'm just asking people why they love running and finding out what they do. And and again, I'm sure you can relate to this. Having a background as a journalist, it's like, there's not as much as we we prep for these interviews. It's like, we have a natural, I think, inclination and curiosity that just lets us dig into these conversations and learn about people. And so it was... It was on Skype recording, trying to figure out how to add music and edit things. And 222 episodes later, the audio is hopefully better now. And it's a little more polished. And it is now uh, mostly my job. uh, It is the main source of my income. I still freelance write and I do a lot of have my hand in a lot of other things. But uh, host of the Alley on the Run show is the first line in the bio. Could you have ever dream that it would have gotten to this point? No. Um, Because even when I started it, I never planned to... I never planned to make money off it. I don't think I knew that was even an option. It was just like, oh, I'll do this for fun because, look, I... I didn't have a kid yet at the time. I was freelance. My husband travels for work a ton. So I had a lot of time and a lot of freedom with which to craft my career, I guess. And I could spend my time however I wanted, which I definitely did not appreciate at the time. But uh, hindsight is should have done more with that free time, should have gone for more midday runs and hikes. But, you know, can't get that back. That's okay. And no, I definitely, um, I even remember early on, I don't, I don't know when I started planning my big list of guests, which I still, of course, have. But like the the idea of talking to Meb Kaflesky was like such a pipe dream. It was like, oh my God, like I don't think this could ever happen. But like, oh my God, what if it did? That would be so cool. And now he's like someone that I text and like a friend. And I've, you know, and, and he's not, he's still and will always be Meb the legend. But he's also someone that I've gotten to collaborate with a lot. And, and it just... Again, it just comes back to 
us all having our different reasons to come to running, but it really being this thing that can unite everyone. Like like you said, with his example, we're all out there running the same 26.2 miles, 3.1 miles, whatever it is. And we can all talk about it. We're all running the same course. We're all putting in the work. And um, I said I was going to keep that short, but I lied to you. <laughs> and as I do, uh, no, couldn't have predicted it would have come here. And, and I'm just super grateful. I mean, I am so grateful for the people that listen to the show. And I'm really grateful because... I want every runner to know that they matter in this sport. We we will always celebrate our fastest runners and we should. They're amazing. The you know, the pros and the people winning races, the people will be sending to the Olympics when they happen. They they're amazing and I love them and I will always celebrate them for their talent and hard work. But I think everyone who gets out there deserves to be celebrated and I want them to know that their voices, their stories them showing up at races and making sure every corral is filled. Like, I love Corral A. I love Corral K. I love everyone who's out there. And man, warm and fuzzies are hitting hard today. Maybe it's because <laughs> I, I haven't seen a runner in like two weeks. Um, but but I mean it. I, I just love this sport so much. And I hope that that comes across in all 222 episodes. Well, it certainly does, having listened to at least a quarter of them at this point. I'm not joking. <laughs> and just in the response that you just gave, it's in your voice. You can hear it. Uh, and I think anyone listening to this is going to be able to take that away. There's a lot that I want to dig into what you just said, but let's go back to your beginnings in running. You mentioned how you grew up as a dancer. You worked as a writer and an editor for a dance magazine. How did running come into the picture? I moved to New York City after I graduated from college. So I, I took this job as... What was I? I was the web editor at Dance Spirit. I was making $30,000. And anyone knows that $30,000 does not get you a New York City one-bedroom apartment. So needless to say, I needed roommates. Went on Craigslist, found a room in a four-bedroom available. So I found these girls, went, met with them, moved into their four-bedroom apartment on 102nd Street and 1st Avenue. will always hold a very, a very special place in my heart. And one of them, I remember moving in and one of the girls who had the room right next to mine, she had all these like... I joked at the time, I called them shiny necklaces. She had race medals hanging on the wall. And I was like, what are those? And listen, I'd racked up plenty of trophies in my time as a dancer because I competed. And so I had lots of lots of trophies, but we didn't really do medals. We did ribbons and trophies in dance. So to see these medals, I was like, that's a sweet necklace. I would wear that out. And she was like, those are my half marathon medals. And I kid you not, I'd never heard the phrase half marathon. I'd heard of a marathon. I couldn't have told you that it was 26.2 miles, but I was familiar with the marathon didn't realize it was something everyday people did for fun. I thought it was just a race for the fastest people who wanted to win. And so she told me that she ran and I couldn't afford to join a gym. I couldn't afford to take dance classes recreationally. And so she was like, you should try running. And so I like one day went out and was like, I'm going to go for a run. Today's my day. And I wore, I'm pretty sure I wore my old jazz sneakers, which if anyone listening was a dancer, you know, <laughs> jazz sneakers are not running shoes. They're like zero traction, slippery, just not, in no way are they actual sneakers. And I was like, here I go. And I just sprinted down the street and I made it to about 
four lampposts from our apartment and was gasping for air and was like, oh my God, this is so hard. But like, I just went for a run. Four lampposts is what, maybe 25 seconds of running. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. All right, went for my first run and like went back home. And then that was just an easy way to measure it though. The next day I was like, maybe I could do six lampposts. And so I measured my progress and I knew nothing about Garmin's, about distance. I didn't know what, you know, like now we can say like, oh yeah, any run over six miles, that's like a decent everyday run. I had no idea. And so there was a dog park one mile from our apartment. And so I made it my goal to run all the way to the dog park. And that's what I worked toward one lamppost at a time. Ran to the dog park, ran back. That was two miles. Ran my first loop of Central Park. Signed up for a four-mile race. Was my first ever race in Central Park. The fitness four-miler. It no longer exists, but I I have fond memories and still have the t-shirt. And actually today, the day we're talking is... I don't know if I should admit this. It's the anniversary of my half marathon PR, but it's nine years old. So I'm like, oh, maybe I should train for a half soon. But... um. Nine years ago, I ran my half marathon PR. My goal was to break two hours and I ran a 144 because I, I didn't know. I didn't like know anything about pacing or time. I was just like, I want to break two hours and broke it by like 16 minutes. So that was a fun day. I'd like to do that again. <laughs> hey, we're taking a quick break to say thank you to UCAN for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. UCAN delivers steady, long-lasting energy for runners with no spikes and no crash. Over 50 U.S. Olympic marathon trials qualifiers, top running coaches, and thousands of age group athletes rely on UCAN for smarter energy to finish stronger. I've been using UCAN's performance energy drink mix before my long runs, big workouts, and races for the past four years, and it's a crucial part of my nutrition plan, providing steady energy that's easy on my gut. Learn more about UCAN's one-of-a-kind energy at generationucan.com slash shakeout, and you can save 25% on your first order with the code SHAKEOUT25. That's SHAKEOUT25. And if you're already a UCAN fan, you can save 15% with the code SHAKEOUT, no number on the end of that one, when you go to generationucan.com slash shakeout. My thanks to Generation UCAN for its support of the Morning Shakeout podcast, now let's get back to the show. Well, hopefully a year from now, things have somewhat normalized from the situation that we're all in, but why not smash it on the 10-year anniversary of... I love that, yeah. Your PR. I mean, I I had 11 years between marathon PRs. You can totally do it. Um, all right, why not you pace me for that? We'll, we'll pick a race in a year. Deal, done. You've heard it here on the Morning yes! Shakeout podcast. I will pace Ellie Feller for... <gasps> her half marathon PR attempt sometime in 2021. Oh, I'm so excited. Because I have no idea. We are talking today on March 26th, 2020. I have no idea when that will fall next year, but sometime in 2021, we are going to go after that sub 144. I'm into it. Cool. Um, I, I love your story about just charging out the front door at like oh, yeah. full steam and going like four lampposts. How long did it take you to figure out that you needed to pace yourself and slow down so that you could go a little bit longer? Or did you just charge out the door at full steam until you ran out of gas? My guess is it was probably a little bit of both. I think I also, in all honesty, when I started, I was in no physical shape at all. I 
I was fresh out of college. I hadn't been going to the gym. I hadn't been dancing for a couple months. So I'm sure my cardiovascular system was generally pretty shot. And so charging out of the gate, who knows how fast, you know, in in technical terms that actually was. But yeah, I, I would say it was probably a mix of both of realizing, hey, I can't be gasping for air the whole time. Though I do joke that my mantra is positive splits for positive people because um, I've not been known to negative split. So, you know, maybe I just sprinted to the dog park and then kind of limped home, but I did it. We might have to flip your mantra next year and we go after this half marathon (laughs) PR. We're going to work on the negative split side of things. When did you launch your blog? Uh, October 2nd, 2010. Okay. So we're coming up on the 10-year anniversary of that as well later I this know. year. We are. I'll have to have some kind of party. I don't really update it as much anymore. I In 2020, I was like, I'm bringing it back and I'm going to blog more. And of course, I said that on a week that I wasn't super busy and then life got back to normal. And so I don't update it a whole lot. I find that also now... I don't have quite as much to say about running specifically, which again is part of the evolution of why I was less interested in blogging and more interested in podcasting because I kind of feel like I've told my story and now I want to help tell other people's stories because like I said, everyone has one and not everyone either feels they have an outlet to share it or feels they're worthy of sharing it. I think so many people are like, oh, I'm just like a regular runner. And I'm like, no, there's no such thing. You're so special and amazing. And so that I think is... I'm way more passionate about other people's running than mine right now. And I think that's, that's a phase I'm in. I mean, I'll always care more probably about other people than about myself. But... I haven't um I haven't trained really seriously for anything in a while. I mean, I had a a great year of running last year and ran a bunch of PRs in a row in shorter distances, which was really fun, but um yeah, I haven't I haven't run a marathon since 2016 and I ran it in the midst of a pretty rough Crohn's disease flare and that was not ideal, but it was fun. And so I haven't been able to dedicate the time and the energy to training for either a half marathon or a marathon. So hopefully soon I will be able to commit to that. But you know, having a kid really throws a wrench in it. That uh, <laughs> I mean, kudos to all the parents out there who run because I find it challenging to on a Saturday morning get up and get out the door for three hours at a time. Um, I have I have the guilt about it, which is silly, but that's kind of what held me back in the first year. So here's to uh, moving on from that and prioritizing running at some point. You just mentioned how you care now more about other people's running than you do your own. When did that flip for you? Mm, good question. Um, I think that 2016, I would say, is when it flipped, which 2016, I was training for the New York City Marathon. And I've I've had Crohn's disease since I was seven years old. It's an inflammatory bowel disease that basically has me running for the bathroom. Super duper glamorous and convenient. So... 2016, I I was following a really great training plan and I really wanted to run a strong marathon in New York, which is my favorite race. And I got about halfway into my training and I, I was probably in the best physical shape of my life. I felt so strong. I was seeing progress happening. I felt good. I was excited. 
And then the flare kicked in and it really knocked me off my feet. I mean, I went into a pretty deep depression during that time. I was just so devastated that I was working so hard for something for myself and I couldn't do it anymore. And so I got out that day and I I did kind of walk run the marathon with my friend just to be a part of it and to have fun and be out there instead of at home being sad. But I wasn't able to complete my training. So don't do what I did necessarily. Um, but I mean, we took it really easy. I know my body pretty well at this point. And it was just a hard time. And I was sick for the better part of a year. And I couldn't really run at all during that time. And that's when I channeled my energy into starting the podcast. I started my podcast just a couple months after the New York City Marathon. I started it in... The marathon's in November. I started it in February. And I was barely running at the time. And I just found a lot of joy in finding a different way to still be involved in the running community beyond just training for races of my own. Was that one of the worst flare-ups that you've ever had related to Crohn's? Yeah, I would say I've had two that were really bad. The worst one was back in 20... It was like started in 2012, didn't get better until 2014. So for the better part of two years, I was sick. And it would kind of come and go. But when it was really bad, I I had to go on medical leave from my job, which I was editor-in-chief of Dance Spirit at the time. It was my dream job. It was the job I had wanted since I was 16 years old. And I worked my butt off to get it. I commuted over three hours each way from Connecticut when I started working there, before I had moved to the city, I just, I loved it so much. I wanted it so bad. And then I got it and I got sick and I had to leave it. And that, I mean, that was definitely, of all the times in my life, that was rock bottom and it was bad. And um, I don't think I'd ever really experienced depression like that. Um, I think I had had periods of it earlier in my life and have always been a pretty... Um, anxious, high anxiety person. But that just, I mean, it. I didn't go outside. <laughs> hey, kind of not unlike these days. But I mean, I was so sick. I couldn't leave my apartment for days. I had to have people bring me my medicine. Certainly was not running, walking, showering. It was... It was really, really bad. And so that that one was definitely the worst. I mean, I should add up the money I've spent on race entry fees that I couldn't run because of this disease. Oh, that's man. certainly um, that's certainly a high number. And, and it just makes it hard to plan. It's kind of, again, I, I liken it to this period we're in right now of just total uncertainty that when I'm sick, if you were to say to me, okay, Allie, you're going to flare. You're going to be sick. You're going to be really, really sick for two months. But after two months, you're good. And you'll be good for a while. And I know life doesn't work that way, but it kind of feels like what we're doing now where we all have this uncertainty. We don't know when it's going to end. We can't plan for anything. So um, it's just, yeah, the, the flares are hard and they make it hard to plan. They make it hard to train. And so I've found ways to keep being in the community and staying involved and staying excited in a way that's not reliant on my own times. And as someone who can take... Like, look, if I, I'll be honest with you. If I put everything into training for a race and I go out there and I don't have a good day and I miss my goal and it sucks or whatever reason we have for not for every race not being a PR, right? 
I struggle with that. And I take that pretty hard. And so it's nice to have things to celebrate beyond my own numbers on the clock. I really appreciate that answer. Forgive me if this is an ignorant question, but do stress and anxiety contribute at all to your Crohn's flare-ups or do they magnify them to a degree? Oh, yes. And it's not an ignorant question. It is. um, I get that question a lot and it is definitely a huge factor. Almost every flare that I've ever had, every significant flare, I can pinpoint to a major life change, which is moving away to college, studying abroad, getting my first job out of college, getting my dream job and getting promoted. And I mean, I carried so much stress during that time. Um, I flared during my pregnancy, which who knows if that was stress or hormone related. And then I flared after I gave birth a couple months later, which again, it was kind of when that peak stress happened about seven months postpartum when I was like, this is not sustainable. So yeah, definitely stress plays a huge part. I've had to work pretty hard to try and manage my stress better. And I'm getting there, but I I certainly don't have that all figured out. What strategies do you employ to help manage that stress so that you can hopefully prevent instances of future flare-ups? Good question. Uh, I think the biggest thing I try to do is take a step back and ask, does this matter? Is this worth my stress? And it's very easy for me to say, is what I'm worked up about right now going to be worth being sidelined for eight months, a year, two years? So that's kind of an immediate check-in that I can do. But honestly, I think that in these bigger moments and in these bigger life shifts... I don't know if it's entirely avoidable. Uh, I I especially look at the postpartum flare that I had, which wasn't that bad. It, it was over in a couple months. It was certainly not that bad of a flare, but I don't know if I could have avoided that. I don't know if any amount of stepping back, any amount of therapy sure. and talking it through. I mean, I think that was going to happen no matter what. And I kind of saw that one coming. Otherwise, I'm. it's such a work in progress every single day. Through your platform, going back to your blog, I know you've written about your experiences in the past. You talk a bit about it on your podcast. Have you become sort of a resource for other people who have dealt with Crohn's or similar autoimmune diseases? Yeah. Um, I hesitate to use the word resource because anytime anyone reaches out, I, I'm so like, I'm not an expert. Don't take my medical advice. I will only tell you what has worked for me. But I can very confidently say that, especially with the blog, a huge chunk of my audience was people who found me through Crohn's because I wrote about it a lot, especially during that two-year flare I mentioned. So a lot of people came to my blog because either they had Crohn's or what really touches me the most and kind of gives me those warm fuzzies is when someone will reach out and say, Hey, I found you because my wife, son, kid, cousin, friend has Crohn's and they took it upon themselves to learn more about it. That to me is like, you're such a good person that you care so much about someone in your life that you just listen to me talk about it for an hour. Um, but I think that it it's really kind of nice to know that a disease that a year ago, five, certainly 10 years ago, wasn't really talked about because 
look, it's not cute running for the bathroom. I mean, runners know, you guys know. We don't want to talk about the time we had to run into the woods or how many times we've had to use a porta potty or not made it. Like, I don't want to be the voice for this disease, but here I am. So I think that helping people get comfortable with it, talk about it, that to me feels like something that I'm proud to have played any type of role in. Because I know for me, being able to talk about it helps how I handle this disease. If I do it alone, I'm screwed. Because my friends, my community, my, I mean, obviously my family, they see it firsthand, but the more people know about these diseases, the more they understand them, the less I have to defend myself, the less I have to be embarrassed, the less I have to give all my excuses. It's like, I hate when I have to cancel plans with someone because I got sick, right? No one wants to, well, I mean, sometimes canceling plans feels good, let's be honest, but... In general, I don't want to flake out on people. But the more that they know that it's it's not because I want to, it's because I literally have a disease and I cannot leave my apartment, just makes it easier. And it's less I have to explain. So I'm a really big advocate for people talking about their diseases as much as they are comfortable because I think that spreading awareness is super important. Yeah. And I think that relatability is important. We talked about it earlier with our respective podcasts when our guests tell stories about whatever it happens to be. It doesn't have to be a a disease or anything like that. But I think that's what a lot of people who are, I hate saying consuming this content, but that's what they're doing. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for that relatability. Maybe not necessarily an expert where they're like, hey, tell me what to do. But they feel some sense of solidarity with someone who is dealing with something very similar to what they are dealing with at a given time in their lives. And I think that goes for you know, things like disease, but also, you know, when you're dealing with like moments of, you know, success um, and you see how others, you know, deal with it kind of can help you, you know, to see things a little more clearly for yourself. Oh, exactly. I used to, um, at the end of every episode that I do, it's called, I do the sprint to the finish round and it's just silly questions like favorite food, movie, where was your first kiss, which always makes people giggle. And I used to ask, I don't ask it anymore, but I used to ask, you don't have to share it, but do you have a running poop story? And people would usually like laugh and be like, yes, definitely. I only had one runner ever say no to that question, that they did not have a running poop story. And I will tell you, it was Molly Huddle. Stomach of steel on that girl. That is incredible because I've never (laughs) met another runner who hasn't had a poop story. Yeah. Exactly. So we've we've all got them and I get that it's not something that's fun to talk about and you know you you asked if I would have predicted that my podcast would be where it is today. No, I also never would have predicted that I would be any kind of like poster child for an inflammatory bowel disease, but um if it helps people get more comfortable with what they're dealing with, if it helps people feel less alone, I am I am all for putting myself out there for that. Along those lines, you're very open about sharing your experiences with Crohn, but just in general. I mean, I follow you on Instagram. I see a lot of the stories that you post. Uh, you're not afraid to talk about you know, things that are on your mind or that might be causing you stress. Have you always been a bit of an open book? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I should bring my mom down here to answer that question. Um, yeah, I have. I've always been chatty. I've always been a writer too. I mean, I have 
like hundreds of journals from when I was growing up. I've always been maybe too comfortable expressing my emotions, very no filter. And I also think I attribute part of that now to the fact that I'm alone a lot. My husband works a ton. My daughter is almost 18 months. And while she knows many words for her age, I wouldn't quite call us totally conversational yet. And aside from these interviews that I do, I don't have coworkers. I'm by myself. And so I think that for me, having any type of outlet to kind of spill my guts, yeah, that's something I'm very comfortable with. Hey, one more quick break to thank the Atlanta Track Club and the AJC Peachtree Road Race for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Right now, the one thing that can keep us moving forward is walking, running, and striding. All you need is your shoes and a little space. The Atlanta Track Club hopes that the AJC Peachtree Road Race is something that you can look forward to in a time like this. Join them on Saturday, July 4th in Atlanta, Georgia. This year marks the 51st running of the event. It is an experience like no other with the city really leaning into all the festivities and excitement. Lottery registration closes on March 31st. You can enter today at AJC.com slash Peachtree. That's AJC.com slash Peachtree. My thanks to the Atlanta Track Club and the AJC Peachtree Road Race for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, I want to go back to the Olympic trials in Atlanta. We were trying to make this podcast happen there and for a number of reasons it wasn't meant to be. Uh, And you talked about how that event for you was a bit of a light bulb moment. I'd love to get just your observations on the event. I believe it was the first Olympic trials that you've ever been to. And what were some of your biggest takeaways from that weekend? Uh, It was the best weekend of my life. It was amazing. I had the most fun and I was obviously not running, but I just, the second that I got off the plane, it was so special. I was so excited for everyone running and especially just knowing so many women in particular who were there to run. I just, I mean, you know, you were there, you could feel the energy. Mm-hmm. And and it just felt so positive and supportive. And maybe it's like that every four years at the Olympic trials. Like you said, it was my first time being there, but there was just something really different than any other race that I've ever been to. And it just felt so celebratory, even though it was obviously a race with a very specific goal to to get our Olympic team chosen. And a lot of women had goals for that race too. They wanted to PR, they wanted to move up in ranking, whatever it was. But everyone just seemed happy. And I felt like there were so many people, runners descending on Atlanta to support each other. And I keep going back to this sound that I noticed on Saturday morning. So the race was Saturday morning. I had done the shakeout run that uh, Ben Bruce and and the Nazalite crew were leading. They led a big group run from the Westin. And then uh, Peter Bromka had put together a group run that was starting at the Waffle House and they ended up collaborating. I mean, there were 1,000 people running down Peachtree hours before the race and it looked like a race of its own. Right. And I 
And so we finished the shakeout run and ended up down by the park where the Olympic rings were. And we finished our run at the same time that Kara Goucher and the Clean Sport Collective and Women's Running finished their group run. So it was just hundreds of people. And there was this sound where people would say, hi, I'm Lisa. Hey, I'm Carrie. Oh my God. Oh my God. And it was like this high-pitched noise where people realized, oh my God, it's you that I've been following on Instagram. Oh my God, it's you. We met that time at this race. Like, It was just such an excited sound. And I don't know why that's what stands out to me, but I think it plays into the power of the running community as a whole. And it plays into social media for sure that it's such a great way to connect all of us. And it's just so cool to me that so many people chose to spend their time and money to be in Atlanta to support. There were so many people there who weren't running, who didn't have an immediate friend or family member running, who weren't necessarily even running the public's races the next day. They were just there because they feel invested in our runners and in our community. And that just felt so special and electric and... I could literally talk about this for nine hours because it was just... I I was just so excited to be there to celebrate the hard work that so many people have put in. I was so inspired. I don't use that word lightly. I think it takes a lot for me to be inspired on the running front because like I've said a lot, I love running. I'm excited about it every day. And so I don't think I necessarily seek out inspiration specifically but you couldn't avoid it that weekend. It was everywhere. And it just, everyone just seemed happy. And it's like, obviously now things seem a little heavy. And before the trials, there was plenty like, there keeps being this meme going around or this tweet that's like, hey, remember a couple of weeks ago when we were all arguing about running shoes? And it's like, yeah, there was stuff like that before, but it just, it felt like such a celebration that whole weekend. And I felt grateful to get to be there. I was grateful to be involved. And and yeah, it for me was a huge... It was a huge realization that what I'm doing in this community matters. That you don't have to be a 226 marathoner or a 206 marathoner to have an impact on this sport and this community. And that, you know, maybe... I always look at my podcast that it's not me, it's the guests, it's their voices and their stories that matter. But to realize that I'm one of many people that are giving them that platform and that are sharing those stories and getting them out to the audience and that people said they came to Atlanta to cheer for runners because they heard them on the show. I mean, I still haven't gotten over that. Like I still... It goes back to the imposter syndrome. I just... I'm so honored to play a role in this community that I never in a million years thought I would be part of. In fifth grade, we had to run a mile and I hid under the bleachers because I didn't want to do it. And that this is now the industry in which I've made a living, in which I've made my closest friends. Uh, It's just... It's just the best. I think the biggest takeaway there is community. You said that word many a time and that's how I felt about being there. And that was the fourth Olympic marathon trials that I've ever attended. And they've all been exciting to some degree. What race isn't? And going all the way back to New York in 2000, fall of 2007, when they had the men's trials and the women's trials in Boston, 2008, like there was a lot of energy and excitement there, but 
the sense of community wasn't the same. I mean, yeah, people were there to support, you know, their runners and cheer for the top people who were about to make the team. But there was something about Atlanta that was very different. And I keep coming back to community and I keep coming back to celebration. And I think the whole thing was like just this celebration of community that has strengthened over the last few years. And not necessarily, I think it was just like the Olympic trials gave us an excuse to all gather and go do that. Um, And it was celebrating like the athletes who were there because they're amazing and, you know, we're about to take part in one of the most exciting events that that's ever happened. Um, But just that feel throughout the weekend of, you know, people that, you know, I had the same thing that either like listened to my podcast or, you know, came to the shakeout run or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. Like there was just like there, there was just this real feeling of, of actual connection um, that I, I think transcends like actually being there, if that if that makes sense. But to actually have it like all come together and happen and have people be in an amazing mood was just a really cool thing to be a part of. Oh my gosh, it was the best. Can we talk about this for nine more hours? I love it so much. <laughs> Your family may come looking for you and be like, where the heck they're is fine. Yeah, they're, all right. they're fine. My daughter's napping. She's fine. Um, one thing you mentioned there is how you left there feeling really inspired. And I'd love to dig into that a little bit more and understand in exactly which ways you were inspired when you left Atlanta. Yeah, um, I think that it was seeing so many, especially women, because the majority of people that I talk to on my show are are the women, seeing them all support each other, I thought was really, really special. And I did a live show Friday morning. So the day before the race with five women who were running, it was Caitlin Goodman, who we mentioned, Amanda Nurse, Ladia, Albertson Junkins, who you know, uh, Jenny Donnelly and Sarah Cummings. So five runners who were ready to run. Some of them had met in person before, but a hand, a couple of them hadn't met yet. And they all knew who each other were and they were hugging and celebrating and took pictures together before the race and after. And now I see them all commenting on each other's social media posts. Like there were so... It, it was the support, I think. It was... Yeah, it was all the hard work that had come into getting there that we followed so many of these women in their goal to qualify for the race and the heartbreaks along the way and the victories and the improvements. I mean, some of these women, when they started, were running four-hour marathons and now they're running 240s. It's it's so awesome to see that hard work paying off and to celebrate that But really, I just come back to seeing the way that women were lifting each other up. And I will never forget the visual of seeing 500 women absolutely storming Mm -hmm. down Peachtree. I was watching the race near the, uh, the fluid stations, which I mean, that in itself was amazing to witness all of those miles of tables. But it was like, you could see them come around this turn and then it was a slight downhill. And I just, they came around and I kid you not, every spectator went, whoa, because it was just, you don't see something like that where it's just a field of all men or all women. There are very few men only, women only races, but I'll be honest, to see 500 really freaking fast women just hauling down Peachtree was the probably the coolest thing in running I've 
ever seen. Certainly the coolest thing I've ever seen in person. And I just am in awe of those women. So many of them are working full time, have kids, have multiple kids. Like, Aside from the handful of women at the very front, these are, by any definition, they're amateur runners. Technically, they are the everyday runner who's really fast and talented, but they're putting in the work at 4am, 5am. They're working full time. They're just... It inspires me, especially as a new mom whose running has been pushed to the side. It inspires me to know that my time's not up. I don't have a goal to run in the Olympic trials, but I have goals of my own. I mean, you and I are running that half next year. So I already put that out there. But it inspires me to see women chasing down these awesome goals and big dreams and being celebrated for that. I think that they they absolutely deserve to be celebrated for that. So just warm and fuzzies. It's been, uh, wow, exactly a month since we were there. And my warm fuzzies are still going strong over here. Yeah. Some, you know, in some regard, it feels like a lifetime ago at this point. But yeah, the excitement coming out of that weekend was super high. And I think what you just described exemplifies what you do in your show a lot of times. I mean, for you, as you admitted, aren't going to be trying to qualify for the Olympic trials anytime soon, but you're inspired by these women in particular who are dealing with busy lives of their own, their parents, they have busy jobs, you know, they're fitting it in when they can. And it creates this feeling of like, why not me? And I think when people listen to your show and they hear some of these stories, even if they can never dream of running, you know, a 232 marathon like Caitlin Goodman, they can say, well, why not me? Why can't I try and break 3.30 for the marathon or whatever it happens to be. And I think that's like one of the cool things about what's happening in this space right now and something that I'm super interested in is we saw it exemplified in Atlanta is that strength of um, that sense of community really strengthening and that connectedness becoming a lot stronger than it's ever been in the past where I think a lot of runners existed in silos. You had the people at the front of the pack, you had the people at the middle of the pack, you had the people at the back of the pack, and there was nothing connecting the dots there. And we're seeing that in Atlanta. We see it through our respective shows and a lot of other ones that are out there right now, like Matt Chittam's Rambling Runner podcast, Lindsay Hines, I'll have another, Tina Muir's show. I, I mean, it's, it's great to just like see all these different, you know, sort of touch points in the community actually starting to connect and people feeling like they're part of something bigger. Exactly. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with why not me? My two biggest phrases that I took away from that weekend were why not me? And you belong or I belong. I'll credit my girl Jenny Donnelly for that during that live show on Friday. Um, I asked each of them, what is your mantra for being here and for tomorrow's race? And everyone had them. And Jenny said, you belong and talked about how because for a long time, she didn't feel she did and she had a lot of anxiety. And Amanda Nurse turned to her and said, Jenny, you've always belonged. And I cried on stage because it was just such a touching moment of like her getting that validation from someone that she's looked up to and her realizing she belonged. And I'm just like... It was so beautiful and I've taken that away that, you know, I know I keep saying this, but yeah, I'm not I'm not a sub 245 marathoner, but I feel that I belong in this running community. And I, I just hope that everyone, no matter where you are in the pack, whether you even run races or not, you don't have to run a race to be a runner, that I hope everyone knows that they belong. And it's all these different stories that bring us to the sport that make this community what it is. I love that. A few more things. I want to touch on before we wrap up here. 
you danced for most of your life before finding running. You've been immersed in the sport of running, the community, the industry for a while now. What similarities do you see between the two, if any at all? Ooh, I've never been asked that. Good question. Uh, Certainly the idea of goals and chasing down this idea of... In dance, it's this idea of perfection a lot of the times with competitive dancers, with professional, especially with professional ballet dancers. There's this... you know, With ballet, you can very much say, hey, this technique is right or it's wrong. With running, it's hey, I either hit my goal or I didn't. If you want to qualify for the trials, it's not like, oh, well, I ran a 246. I did a good job. You did do a good job, but you didn't qualify. And it's very, it can be cut and dry Mm -hmm. in that way. And so similarities I see in terms of the personalities in the two in dance and in running are a lot of, I hate to categorize and say type A personalities, but certainly both disciplines attract that type of person who can chase down specific goals, who is competitive, not necessarily with other people, but with themselves. I think that's a big thing you see in dance and it's a big thing you see in running. Yeah, you're competing for the top spot. You're competing for the spot in the company. You're competing for the lead role on Broadway. You're competing... You know, If you're in high school, you're literally at dance competitions that you want to win. In running, yeah, if you're at the front of the pack, it's the same. You're competing to break the tape. But I think inherently, what I see a lot of in both is this idea of wanting to be your best self in your discipline and seeing what that brings out in you as a person. In what ways are you competitive with yourself outside of (laughs) athletics? Oh, literally every way, Mario. How much more time do we have? Um, I do not go easy on myself. I have a very high bar set for myself. I think that is the reason for most of the anxiety I deal with in my life. Uh, I am not a chill, roll with it type of person. I take everything too seriously. I'm competitive about literally everything with myself, not with other people. Uh, gosh, yeah. I don't think we have all the time to get into that question. Have you had to tame that competitiveness at different points of your life? I probably should. (laughs) I should. I haven't. Uh, No, I mean, I will say in in many ways, having a daughter has really softened me up quite a bit. Um, But the first year of her life, I mean, I was plagued by the idea of I don't know if it was perfection or predictability that I was obsessed with getting her on a schedule. I was, if she napped like a minute past when I thought she would wake up, I would freak out and do all this math in my head of when her next nap would be and what time she would sleep till in the morning. And I think that came from a place of postpartum anxiety for sure, but also of just being someone who craves predictability and routine part of why I'm struggling right now in this weird time of life. And so it's um, it's something that I'm aware of. I wouldn't say... I will not put myself on a pedestal and be like, oh yeah, I conquered that. Like, no, I still struggle with that every day. And um, I I just like to know what's coming. I like to be prepared for it. And I've learned since having a kid that that's not how life works. And... 
it's gotten better. You know, now that my daughter is almost 18 months, it's the most fun age and she's a blast. And so I don't really care if she doesn't nap for exactly 90 minutes at a time. We're going to be fine. And so I've gotten better since becoming a mom in some regards. But yeah, I'm still pretty competitive with myself. I still hold myself to a really high standard. I don't always meet those standards, but I have always had them, probably will always have them. Two podcast-related questions before we call it quits here today. How have you evolved as a podcaster over 220-plus episodes? Ooh, the first thing that comes to mind is I don't over-prepare anymore. I used to want to make sure that I could learn everything possible about my potential guest. And I got to a point where I kind of felt like it was hindering our conversations mm-hmm. because I would have like scripted questions. And I, if we went off, kind of like with if my daughter didn't follow her nap schedule, like if we went on a tangent, I would find myself wanting to pull it back to where we were instead of being able to roll with it and truly have a conversation. It felt more like a specific, like a job interview or something. And so I think I've gotten better at being comfortable with where the conversation goes and following my curiosity instead of my Microsoft Word document. (laughs) How has your experience as a writer and an editor informed your approach as a podcast host? Oh, 100%. I think that one of the biggest things you learn as a writer and an editor is... What does my audience want to learn? What is my goal for my audience? What am I supposed to be informing them about today? And then a big thing for me, I learned this as um, a freelance writer for Well and Good. I wrote for them and still do for many years. And their biggest thing is when you finish reading one of their articles, you shouldn't have any questions. So you shouldn't say like, okay, this was a great piece about you know X. But wait, what about Y? you should get all of your questions answered. And so if I'm interviewing someone and they're saying, oh, you know, I was running in my shoes and they gave me a blister in my head, I'm like, but what shoes were they? Were they new? Had you just gotten them? Were they a different model? Like, I'm going to ask all those questions because I'm curious about these things. So following my curiosity is the biggest thing, but also making sure that I'm getting the answer to every question that's running through my very busy head. And it's funny because I'll hear from listeners who are like, you answer every, you ask every question that I'm thinking in my head. And that to me is the best feedback because it's like, yes, we got there and we, you know, we, we got all the questions answered. And so I think that remembering as a journalist that you want your audience to leave feeling like they aren't still looking for information. They might still be super curious about that person for sure. Go Mm -hmm. follow them. They're amazing. I want that. I want you to feel that connection and feel attached. But I don't want you to feel that anything you really wanted to know was missing. Have you had any guests or conversations that have been particularly impactful on you? Oh, yeah. Uh, So many. Um, Adrienne Hazlitt just came to mind immediately. She, uh, Adrienne is a survivor of the Boston Marathon bombings. She was a professional ballroom dancer and lost her leg that day. And now she is a runner who she was training to run Boston. This year, Boston was set to have its first uh, 
para division and she wanted to win it. And so, um, you know, of course, hopefully we're going to see Boston happen in the fall and she can still go for that. But her outlook is just, I mean, to, to lose your leg by chance. Like she wasn't a runner at the time. She wasn't in the grandstands because she was obsessed with running. She was out for a walk because she took a day off of dancing. And then she got hit by a car like two years ago. And it's just to to be dealt that hand. I think I would go into life's not fair mode. And she's done the opposite. And she's a motivational speaker. And she just she's just an incredibly resilient human and uh and of course i'm i'm going to go back to gabe grunwald i i'll never forget episode 62 gabe at the time she was feeling great she was coming off a really good round of treatment and just i mean she always had the the best outlook on life and i feel so so grateful to have gotten to have that conversation when i did and it's something i will cherish forever so yeah, those those are the stories that um, that I think about almost every day. Well, I appreciate you sharing those, and I appreciate you taking over an hour to talk to me today for the Morning Shakeout podcast. This was super fun. We probably could have gone on another nine hours, so I'm going to have to have you back at some point, and hopefully, the next time we can actually sit down and do this in person. I mean, I need everyone listening to know. I know they know how committed you are because you're such a professional. You do such an amazing job. But um, everyone should know that you were willing to record this with me at like 7 a.m. in Atlanta to make this happen. And so I, I, it's just a testament to what you do and your professionalism and your dedication. So I am super grateful for you for having me on. Your newsletter was the first running newsletter I ever subscribed to. And I've learned so much. And so thank you for having me on and for all the work that you do in this community. You're amazing. Well, that means a lot. All right. That's a wrap on this episode of the podcast. Really hope you enjoyed it. A big thank you to UCAN and the Atlanta Track Club for sponsoring this episode. I've been using UCAN's Performance Energy Drink Mix before my long runs, big workouts, and races for the past four years, and it's been a crucial part of my nutrition plan, providing steady energy that's easy on my gut. Learn more about UCAN's one-of-a-kind energy at generationucan.com slash shakeout and save 25% on your first order with the code SHAKEOUT25. That's SHAKEOUT25. And if you're already a fan of UCAN, you can save 15% with the code SHAKEOUT. No number after that one. This year, July 4th is on a Saturday, which means you can't miss the AJC Peachtree Road Race in Atlanta, Georgia. Lottery registration closes on March 31st, so get your name in today. Join them on Saturday, July 4th, as they celebrate the next 50 years of this iconic event. Register today at AJC.com slash Peachtree. A lot of people ask me how they can support the show, and honestly, the best and easiest way is just by telling all your friends about it or posting about your favorite episode on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which helps new listeners to discover the show, and it really means a lot to me. You can also support my work directly on Patreon by going to themorningshakeout.com slash support. A big thank you to everyone who's done so already. It really means a lot. I'd also like to give a shout out to my rockstar team here at the Morning Shakeout, John Summerford of BearsRecords.com, who handles the production and makes this show sound as good as it does week in and week out. 
Jeff Stern for social media and editorial assistance, and Chris Douglas for managing sponsorship sales. I couldn't do what I do without their help. Last thing, if you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. And you'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>